Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. I just want to uh, comment on these kids' fun fest cards. Um, we need to pass them out like in the next week or so. Your neighborhoods are a good place to pass them out. You may know where the kids live in your neighborhood, right? Who has a card right now on their purse and raise your hand? Okay, one, two. That's not good. So what we need to do, three. Thank you. What you need to do when you leave, there's a table right outside these doors. You need to pick up a couple cards. Everyone knows children somewhere, right? Give these to families that you know. We appreciate that. Okay, good morning, everyone. I am finishing part three of a series that started a couple weeks ago uh, titled The Seven Letters to the Churches. And this is the last message in this series. And we're covering today the church at Philadelphia and the church at Laodicea. That's where we're going to be going today. And you know, I've really been blessed as I've been doing this study, one reason is I'm learning about Jesus. Would you agree that's a good thing? Paul said, I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection. So what's fascinating is the introduction to every one of these seven letters has at least two or three descriptors of who Jesus is. And if you'll notice... They're different than the Jesus in the Gospels, sort of. And there's a reason for that. It's not that Jesus changes, right? God doesn't change. But what was the emphasis of Jesus in the Gospels? Well, He was the Son of Man. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to go to the cross, to die on a cross, be nailed on a cross as a man, take the sin of the world upon Himself, be raised from the dead. So when Jesus came in the Gospels, we knew Him as a suffering servant. One that could relate. One that took the sin, the grief, the pain, the sickness of the whole world upon Himself. But when we read about Jesus in Revelation, are you getting a different picture? He's ascended. He's seated at the right hand of the throne on high. He is the glorified, risen Christ. Now He's talking about judgment in the book of Revelation. okay. Now, not for His church. His church, He talks about discipline because He loves us. But as you're reading these letters, and I encourage you again, go back and read these seven letters to yourself, even when I'm done with this series, and focus on the names and descriptions of Jesus because we want to get to know Him better. So as I read the Scripture today, that's what I'm going to be emphasizing. Who is Jesus? What's He like? And what does He expect us as His church to do? Okay, so, the church at Philadelphia, little background information, the church at Philadelphia was named after a man whose name was Attalus II. Attalus II was the king of Pergamum around 190 B.C. Now, if you're like me, I thought the church of Philadelphia, which means the city of brotherly love. We all know that, don't we? But wouldn't you expect it 
to be named after it. Wow, that church, they must really love each other at the Church of Philadelphia. That's not why that church was named. It was named after uh, Adelus, who had a tremendous love and loyalty for his brother Eumenes. Now, Eumenes was the king of Pergamum before Adelus. So, Adelus was the younger brother of Eumenes. So, apparently, Adelus was just really a loyal, faithful servant to his brother, who was the king before him. And he was the one that founded this church at Philadelphia. And it was named because of his love for his brother. So, it's, it's still a good thing. But it's not what I originally thought. Uh, pretty interesting, though. The other thing about Philadelphia is... It's only one of two churches that Jesus found nothing wrong with. So we definitely want to pay attention to what is going on with this church because that's what we want to do. Remember the other church was Smyrna and they were the persecuted church. Philadelphia is called the faithful church. So let's read from Revelation. I'm in chapter 3 now, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. Remember, I told you, now we're going to focus on who is Jesus. He's revealing Himself to the church at Philadelphia. And His first words out of His mouth are, I'm holy. And remember, I talked two weeks ago about God's holiness, but I just want to talk a little bit more about God's holiness because it's important. So what is God's holiness? Well, you know, the word holy means to be set apart. We're called to be holy, right? Set apart from the things of this world, set apart from sin, and we're called to be like Christ, to be like God. But God's holiness really could be described by one word, and I'm going to make it up, His otherness. In other words, everything we're not, He is. (laughs) Okay, let God be true and every man... Honestly, we're liars. We are. We lie, right? God, though, never lies. We're fickle. We change our mind, don't we? God, there's no variation. There's no shadow of turning within God. Okay? So, everything we are, He's... Not. Or everything He is, we aspire to be. So, just think of God's other... He's pure. There's no sin in God. He's perfectly righteous. We're not perfectly righteous. We have the righteousness of God which was imputed to us when we believe, but we are not inherently righteous. Right? I certainly wasn't born that way. My sense of justice... I aspire it to be God's, but it's not perfect, is it? But He is perfectly just. He's perfectly righteous. He's perfectly holy. I mean, He is everything we aspire to be. So He's saying to the church of Philadelphia, hey guys, I'm Jesus and I'm holy. And I'm about to check you out and give you some feedback. It's like, oh, okay. All right, what is it, Jesus? All right, verse, still in verse 7. Well, you know, I had another thought on holiness. You know, what a picture of holiness. Remember Isaiah? He had a vision of God on the throne. And he saw the seraphim, and the seraphim were saying, Holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord God Almighty. And what was Isaiah's reaction? I'm a dead man. Woe is me. I'm ruined. And the seraphim had to go get a coal and, and of course cleanse him. Because, why? You can't be a sinner in the presence of a holy God. Now, why can we be in the presence of a holy God? Because our sin has been taken upon Christ. We now have the blood of Christ. So now we can be in the presence of a holy God because Jesus paid the wrath and penalty for our sin. That's good news. There's another person, though, that's really it's kind of fascinating. He was in the presence of a holy God, and it's John. And uh, if you have your Bibles, we'll go back to chapter 1. I think the PowerPoint might start with verse 17. I'm going to start with verse 16. I find this absolutely fascinating. Okay, we, John is describing Jesus. It says, In His right hand He held seven stars. Remember, those are the messengers to the churches. And out of His mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and His face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw Him, I fell at His feet like a dead man. And He placed His right hand on me saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. What's interesting to me about this is John was the apostle of love, wasn't he? How did John refer to himself in the Gospels? The one whom Jesus loves. That's pretty bold. Hi, John Dadio, the one whom Jesus loves. (laughs) Really? I mean, that's John. And John, I mean, he, he, he reclined. He put his head in Jesus' bosom. Remember that? I mean, John, and when you read John's letters about love, it's like, wow, this guy really knew Jesus. But what I read here right now, that's not being emphasized. It's not like John looks at Jesus, the glorified Christ, right? You know, John's on Patmos. He has this vision of the glorified Christ. It's not like, Jesus, what's up? I can't wait to be with you, Jesus. That wasn't it, was it? I mean, it's not like Jesus greeted John and said, John, my faithful servant, so good to see you. That wasn't what happened. What happened? John, who's born again, who has the presence of the Holy Spirit, who's forgiven, sees Jesus and falls down to the ground as though dead. That amazes me. That really amazes me. Um, so, you know, I think I don't think we quite comprehend the holiness of God and what it means. So, if John hits the dirt in the presence of his beloved, I mean, certainly that's us too. So, just wanted to focus a little bit on holiness because that's who Jesus is introducing himself to here at this church. So let's go back now. Alright, I'm still in verse 7. He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts when no one opens. So the question is, what are the, what are the keys of David? Well, we know, we know that the Messiah was to rule and reign on the throne of David from that time on and forever, said Isaiah. So we know Jesus is ruling and reigning over David's throne. 
Right, that was prophesied. But the keys of David, we get a hint in Isaiah 22. It's kind of interesting. I'm not going to go really into the background. You can look it up. But this is during Hezekiah's time. And there was this guy named Shebna. And Shebna was over the royal household. And God was demoting Shebna. And God was about to promote Eliakim. Okay, I'm going to start reading here. In verse, uh, actually, I think if you start with 22, I'm going to read 21. And I will clothe him with your tunic. I will entrust him with your authority. And he will become a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder. Talking about Eliakim. When he opens, no one will shut. When he shuts, no one will open. So what are these keys of David? Well, I think, this, I think the secret here is in verse 21. Um, I will entrust him with your authority. The keys are the authority. Would you agree with that? Okay, and Jesus is saying, I have the keys of David. In other words, I'm the authority here over my house and over my kingdom. I open doors, no one can shut, and I shut doors, no one can open which is a good thing. Let's keep reading. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. So he repeats it again. Because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. So, you remember when Paul said a door has been opened to me for the Gospel? And he went through that door and preached the, he preached the gospel. So it could be the Church of Philadelphia has been given a door of opportunity for the gospel, but I'm not sure that's what's really being said here in this context. I think Jesus is saying, "Hey, I let people in the kingdom. You're my you're my saints. You're my servants. I bring people in. I keep people out." People reject me. They're kept out. I can open doors. I can close doors. And we might get a sense of that as I continue to read here. But one thing I want to emphasize as we go on, he says, because you have little power. What does that mean, you have little power? Actually, I think it's humility. It's kind of the opposite of self-sufficiency. You know, I can do it. I don't need God. I'm rich. I'm smart. I'm self-made man, self-made woman. Jesus is saying to the church, this is a compliment. There's three things here we want to pay attention to. You have a little power. Compliment. You've kept my word. Compliment. You have not denied my name. Compliment. So what should we as a church seek to do? Admit that we can do nothing apart from Christ, right? By the way, you know when we, we quote that, apart from me you can do nothing... What about, I mean, what about all these athletes and intelligent people that do incredible things and they completely deny Christ? How can they do that? What, I mean, what is that Scripture saying? It's not saying you can't do things. It's saying that it doesn't count for eternity. Jesus is saying, apart from Me, if you want any part of My kingdom, if you want any part of giving Me glory, if you want any part of a reward in the kingdom, you need to do it with Me. You're not going to do it on your own. And so the church of Philadelphia... They knew that. And they kept His Word. 
They didn't deny His name. That's pretty good. And what were the circumstances? Verse 9, Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. So here they are. We talked about them before. They pop up again at Philadelphia. Who are the synagogue of Satan? It's the, how can I say this? Uh, the enemies of the cross. These are Jews that are actively persecuting Christ and His church. So they're back. And now they're harassing the saints at Philadelphia. So even though it doesn't say that they're being persecuted, I think we could probably read between the lines since Jesus brought them up again. And He said, hey guys, they're going to come and bow down at your feet. I open the, I've got the keys to the kingdom. You put your trust in Me. I've invited you to come into the kingdom. But these enemies of the cross, they're not coming into My kingdom. Okay? I can keep them out unless they repent. Of course, He always gives people opportunities to repent. But what's amazing is, when are they going to come and bow down at the church of Philadelphia's feet? I mean, are there going to be anybody that comes and bow down at our feet? I think so. Well, you remember, I, I did this in my other message on, I remember Jesus is coming. I'll just read you back in Isaiah 49:23. What's going to happen to the Jews at the end of the age? The Gentiles who persecuted the Jews who are in big trouble, they're going to come and bow at the feet of the Jews. Okay, in uh, Isaiah 49.23, I may have even read that Scripture. Kings will be your guardians. The kings meaning the Gentiles. Guardians meaning the Jews. And, they will, and their princesses, your nurses, they will bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick the dust of your feet. And you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hopefully wait for Me will not be put to shame. So, you know, I, I learned something reading about this church in Philadelphia. I thought it was just the Gentiles that were going to come and bow down to the Jews. But here, this is the born-again church of Philadelphia. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to make your enemies come and bow down at your feet. And they'll know that I've loved you. Guys, do you realize, what's, I mean, all this stuff is going to happen? I mean, can you picture? Somehow you're with Christ and somehow... The enemies of the cross are coming and they're bowing down and they're licking the dust right in front of our feet. And it's not because we're great. We have little power. It's because of who He is. Isn't that amazing? I mean, just stuff is fascinating. It's, it, I'm, I'm hoping the language I'm using to express this is to get you to realize this is not the, buying, this is not the pie in the sky. This is This is reality. Okay, this, this stuff's going to happen, just like you're hearing it. Okay, verse 10. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is come, about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth, because you have kept the word of my perseverance. I mean, what were they persevering against? Well, Philadelphia... You know, they had emperor worship going on. They had Gentiles who didn't appreciate Christians. 
They had the synagogue of Satan Jews who were actively persecuting them. So they had to persevere through something, didn't they? But they were just like us. These were people. They got sick. Their kids got hurt. They were made fun of in the job market. They had bad days just like we do, right? So we need to persevere. Now I was thinking about this. Some of you have really been through some pretty difficult situations. One thing that came to my mind was uh, I've known a number of people here in this congregation with back pain and have had back surgeries. And I was, I was thinking of you and, and I prayed for you and my heart's gone out to you. And I also think of another friend of mine, good brother. He's had severe back pain to where it's debilitated him. He can't work. It's been at least 15 years. And you think, why? And then that doesn't really answer anything. So then you think, God help. Because that's the only place you can turn is, is God help him. And, you know, the only thing we can do for people that are suffering is if we have a little strength, we can serve them and help them, right? And pray for them. But, you know, we have to persevere as hard as it is with whatever sickness, whatever illness. I mean, if you have a child that's not walking with God, isn't that something you have to persevere through? You've got to persevere in faith that God is going to save your son or daughter. You can't give up. And the person who's just going through a divorce, who wants to give up, why, why aren't you going through a divorce? You say, well, it's because I have a great marriage. And I do what's right. No, that's not why you're not divorced. You're not divorced by the grace of Almighty God, so maybe you can help the person going through a divorce, right? <laughs> so, but see, that person wants to give up. And they'll try to give up unless there's one of us who will stand with them, who will go visit them, who will take them out, who will cook for them, who will pray with them, who will pray and stand for their children with them. They don't even want to pray for their children anymore. They're so beat up. And I'm not speaking, I'm not talking theory here. I'm, I'm talking real people. They just want to give up. So this perseverance thing is huge. You've got to make it through college. You've got to make it through a bad manager, right? Anyone ever work for a taskmaster? It's fun, isn't it? How do you work for taskmasters? You bless those who curse you. What happens when people make fun of your kids? You pray for them. Right? Okay, so Jesus is saying to the church of Philadelphia and He's saying to the church of Cornerstone, guys, you've got to persevere. You've got to, you really have to press in. You've got to make it. Alright, so perseverance. It's interesting. There's a promise with perseverance. What's our promise? I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Question, what is the hour of testing and trial that's about to come upon the whole world? Maybe it was Hitler in World War II. Or maybe it's yet to come, right? I mean, I happen to think it's going to be you know, the great tribulation, the day of the Lord, the judgment. When God's going to pour out His wrath, the sun's going to actually scorch people from heaven. I mean, meteors are going to fall into the waters and kill. And I mean, it's going to be a, a horrific time. 
So some Bible teachers teach, well, this shows that we're not going through the tribulation. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But it, it tells me that God's going to keep them from something, right? He didn't, he's just not saying this like this is a nice thought. He's, he says, I will keep you from the hour of testing, which is about to come upon the whole world. So whatever that means, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. We trust in Him. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. I mean, it's 2,000 years later. How can He be coming quickly? Well, the word actually doesn't mean immediately. It means in the timing of God, there's not going to be any delay. That's what it means. In the timing of God, there's not going to be a delay. So He is. He's coming quickly. He encourages us to hold fast what we have. What do we have? We have the Word of God. You know what? The older I get, I mean, everything boils down to this and and the person of the book. I mean, it really does. There's just everything else is, is pretty meaningless. All right, so, verse 12. He who overcomes. Jesus is always encouraging us to overcome. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, and the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. He who overcomes will be a pillar in the temple of my God, and you will not go out from it anymore. In other words, the Jews may kick you out of the temple, Philadelphia, but you're in my temple and you're not going anywhere. You're with me. And the Gentiles may put some of you to death, church of Philadelphia, but if you're with me, you're always going to be in my temple. In fact, I've written a name. I've, I've, I've got a name for you and I've put my new name on you. What is this new name stuff anyway? Well, God's name is His character. It's who He is, right? So what better thing in all of creation than to be stamped with the name of Jesus. I mean, what else is there? To have a stamp. And, you know, I was thinking about this. Doesn't it, if God puts His name on us, doesn't that show ownership? We belong to Him. We're in His temple. We're not going anywhere. We're pillars of His temple. That's pretty cool. You know, just like John's Bible, we use apostrophe S to show ownership and possession. Well, God's, a, God's big apostrophe S yes, is He stamps His name on each and every one of us. And so He's encouraging them. Hey guys, there really is a new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. That's, that's just not some fiction. There's going to be a heavenly city and you're going to live and dwell there with Me. So, he who has an ear, church of Philadelphia, church at Cornerstone, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. An encouraging word. So good job, Church of Philadelphia. No rebuke from the Master. Church at Laodicea. Different story. You know, a little background on uh, Laodicea is it was a very wealthy city. Uh, They had a banking center. Uh, They had textile clothing factories. 
They had a medical school. They worshipped, of course, they worshipped this god of Asclepius. Um, they made their own eye salve out of this Phrygian dust. It was some kind of special clay that was there. So they would gather that and uh, make their own eye salve. It was a uh, cultural center. They had their own civic pride. I mean, they did conventions there. I mean, they had a lot going on. They, were, they had the civic pride. Uh, there was an earthquake in AD 60, and it kind of leveled the city. So the emperor comes in and says, Hey, guys, do you want some money to rebuild your city? They're like, No, we got it. We got this. <laughs> so just a little background on Laodicea that might figure into what, what Jesus says about them. So let's take a uh, look here in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the Amen. What's your name again? The Amen. I'm sorry, what? The faithful and true witness. Oh, the beginning and the creation of God says this. What does Amen mean? Well, it means may it be so or may it be true. So Jesus is saying, I'm the one who's true. Hi, I'm the one who's true. Faithful and true. Verse 14. Beginning of creation of God. What's he really saying about, why is he introducing himself like this? Beginning and the end, Alpha and Omega. Doesn't this almost sound kind of cryptic? It's kind of hard to grasp. Like you understand if I said, well, I'm humble and lowly of heart. You know, take your burden upon me. I mean, it, we understand that, but Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, I am the uh, Alpha, I mean the Amen. Uh, it, it just sounds a little bit cryptic. But I think what Jesus is really saying is, guys, I was here from the beginning. I'm outside of time. I got this. You're all concerned and worried about living in stuck in space-time. Worried about your lives. Worried about this. Doing that. I'm outside of it all. I see the end from the beginning. I'm changing you into my likeness. You can trust me on this. I, I see the end of the story. In fact, just read the end of Revelation and you see how this winds up. That's me, guys. That's me. So I, I think it's, it's really an encouragement even though it's, it's a little bit strange language, because we don't speak this way to each other, do we? No, that'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Hi, I'm the Amen. <laughs> no, not quite. Okay, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit or vomit you out of my mouth. So maybe a little background here on Laodicea. Um, you know, the Bible scholars tell us that nearby Colossae had these hot springs. Uh, There's a place in West Virginia called Hot Springs. Okay, So supposedly in Colossae, these hot springs had medicinal value. So that would have been a refreshing, um, medicinally edifying type of experience in Col Colossae. But of course, Laodicea didn't have the hot springs. Uh, now as far as cold water goes, Laodicea's water came from mountains. You would think it would be cold from the mountains and as was, but apparently it went underground for a while in the aqueducts and then as it came near the city, it was in barrels and so it was near the surface so it would get hot. So it actually came into the city. It wasn't cold and refreshing. 
It's kind of lukewarm type of a thing. So supposedly this is an allusion to uh, these water supply things that's happening during their days. I don't know, but certainly I think we can all grasp that lukewarm is not a good place. (laughs) You're either this way or you're this way, but not lukewarm, hot or cold. So Jesus is not into half-hearted, halfway Christianity. I think that's that's probably the message we could take. Why, Jesus? I mean, what did they do? Verse 17. Well, you guys said you're rich. You've become wealthy. You don't need anything. But you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So I advise you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So they're self-sufficient. We can do it. We don't need God. We don't need the emperor's money. We'll, we'll rebuild our own town. I don't need any help on my basement. I'll do it all myself. I don't need your help. Don't we get that attitude sometimes, a self-sufficient attitude where we can just do it ourselves, just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps? Jesus is saying no. He's not into that. In fact, so much so that He rejects it, vomits out of His mouth. Jesus talking? I mean, do you, do you see what I'm saying by, by getting to know other, other uh, characteristics of Christ? I mean... What is, who is this God that spits people out of his mouth? I mean, what, what's he saying here? I should probably get to know this. Well, I think what he's saying is he's just a picture. It's a graphic picture of rejection of what they were doing, this, this spirit of self-sufficiency that they had. And I think Jesus wanted to say to them, look, guys, you guys are so rich. You have all your gold, all your money. Remember the guy, the rich man in Luke? Um, Jesus told a parable. He, he saved up all his money, built all these grain barns. And what happened? You fool. Your life will be required of you tonight. So Jesus is saying, you're going to chase gold? You guys remember what Solomon said about chasing money? It turns into what? Anyone remember? Butterflies, yeah. <laughs> you want to chase, chase wealth, you might as well just go chase monarch butterflies. They're a lot prettier. So, Jesus is saying, look, I have real gold. I've got real gold. Not this gold that you guys are chasing out to. And, and this salve that you're making for you guys, you guys think you're so sufficient, right? you got your medical school. You can heal yourselves, right? You guys are blind. Your, your eye salve is, is useless. But I have eye salve so you can see. See what? See who Christ is. See, see what His Word is really about. See their position before Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus is looking for broken and contrite spirits. These people weren't there. So Jesus, Jesus is saying, look, you can't see your true condition before Me. What else He's saying? Wear white garments. You guys, are mis- you guys have the big textile industry. You make all your own clothing. And you think you don't need anything. But you don't realize your clothes, you need white clothes, clean, pure, holy clothing. And you can only get them from me. 
it's just amazing how Jesus just takes each one of the things that they had really put their trust into and just says, hey, it's not what you're thinking at all. Of course, their nakedness would be revealed. Jesus wanted them to see truly who He was. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, Jesus vomits them out of His mouth. And then He says, I love you. <laughs> well, he's <laughs> it's kind of interesting. It's, it's not that He's rejecting them. What He's rejecting is their self-sufficient attitude. But the amaz- I, I'm just painting this as a contrast because it's kind of shocking. But the good news is that you can be that self-sufficient where Jesus says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And in the next sentence he says, but look, guys, I love you and I want you to repent. That's incredible. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Therefore, whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and asks me to come in, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. It doesn't matter what you think this Scripture means right at this minute in time. Let me just tell you what it means for this church. What Jesus is saying is, look, Laodicean, what you're doing is really distasteful to me. But if you will repent, please, I'm knocking at your door. I want you to open up and I want you to come in because I want to restore the fellowship with you. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely amazing. That's what the Scripture means. Now, can we make application of it? Absolutely. That's one of my favorite Scriptures because when I got saved, um, that's exactly what I did 29 and a half years ago today. um, I was in bed and in turmoil. And I... There was a list in my left side of my mind. It was like a light bright, if you remember light bright. Um, anyway, it was a list written in light in the left side of my mind. Everything I had done, all my accomplishments, all the traveling, all the cars, all the money, all everything that Laodicea had, I had it. And I saw, I thought, man, this is useless. There's nothing there. And I was really depressed because there wasn't anything. But then on the right side of my brain, in my mind, Jesus Christ literally came and said, ask me to come live in your heart. And I, I said, well, I, I don't know if you're really there, but if, if you are, I cried out to Jesus to come with every fiber in my body to come live in this body. And he did. I didn't realize, I didn't realize he did at that moment. But as I was reading the Bible, I read Revelation uh, 3.20. And as soon as I read that Scripture, Behold, I stand at your door and knock, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, That's exactly what you did in your bed, and I am here inside you right now. And I'm like, Whoa, this stuff is real. I mean, this, this Word is real. <laughs> this is exactly what's going on here. So should you share this like you can share the Gospel? Absolutely. Tell people Christ died for their sins. Tell them what Jesus did for them and say, Look, it's, here, let me give you a picture. This is what Revelation 3.20 said. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart and He wants to come in and have fellowship with you. Would you let Him in and be the Lord and Savior of your life? 
Tell somebody. That's, that's what we have. Verse 21. This is another one of my favorite verses. I quote it all the time when I stand up here. He who overcomes, I will grant to sit down with me on my throne even as I also overcame and have sat down with my Father on His throne. Why does this shock me every time I read it? Because I know who I am. You want to know who I am? I'm just... just look, at, look at this chunk of clay sitting right here before you. I'm dirt. And I'm dirt that Jesus Christ for some reason decided to breathe upon. And I have the privilege for some reason of standing up here and giving you His Word. Who can comprehend that? But I'm so amazed that knowing who I am and it just makes me appreciate all the more what He's done in my life so that we, all of us, are going to be ruling and reigning. I mean, all of us. Thomas Road, Believer's Fellowship, Highland Heights, Timberlake Christian. All of us are going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. I mean, doesn't it say that? Now, if you're, if you're Philadelphia, you're like, wow, that's pretty heavy. If you're cornerstone 2,000 years later, wow, that's pretty heavy. <laughs> it really is. That's extremely encouraging to me. So he who has an ear to hear, cornerstone, let him hear. What is the Spirit saying to our church? Well, let me sum it all up. Who is Jesus? I mean, what is He really like? He's the one who wants a love relationship with His children more than anything else. And we know what it means to love Jesus. It means to obey Him, right? I, I could stand up all day long and tell you how much I love Jesus. But if I go home and argue with my wife and don't ask her forgiveness, that's a joke. That's a joke. <clears throat> he really wants our love. He really wants our obedience. He's the one that loves His church so much, He calls us to repent. Repentance is a good thing. We don't like it. We feel bad or shamed. Like, oh my goodness, I did something bad or wrong. He'll never love me. Just a lie from Satan. The truth is, my child, what you did isn't right. I love you. Don't do that. I'll change you. Look to me. That's, that's what it is. Okay. Who is Jesus? Well, even if we're not saved, even if, even if you don't know Christ and you're on your way to hell, He still loves you so much that He gave His only Son, begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. So whether you're a saint, He loves you enough to correct us. And if you don't know Christ, He loves you enough to invite you to come into His kingdom, like right now. So if there's anybody in here that doesn't know Christ, now's a good time to invite Him in. Who is Jesus? He vomits self-sufficiency out of His mouth. Who is Jesus? If you're an enemy of Jesus Christ, He could come and kill your children. Okay, If you are an enemy of Jesus Christ. If you lead people into sexual immorality, fornication, and idolatry, He could come and fight against you with the, the sword of His mouth. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is holy, right? You see, Jesus will might just fall down. <laughs> fall down. <clears throat> who is Jesus? 
He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's before all everything. We can fully trust in Him. You know, I, I, it took me a long time to understand Job. And still, not that I fully comprehend Job, but have a little more insight. Job never got an answer to his problems. Do you realize that? You know what, you know what God's answer to Job was? Father, I don't know why I'm suffering. This is incredible. I just want to die. Could you please tell me if I'm sinning or what's going on? And God said, Job, did you ever look to see how wonderful it is when a deer has a, a baby? Job's like, what? <laughs> Job, did you ever see how wonderful the stars in the sky are? Job's like, I want to die. What are you saying to me? What God has said to Job is simply this. Job, I control everything. I'm before all things. I know the beginning. I know the end. I've got this under control. Just look to me and I will take care of you. That's what this Alpha and Omega stuff means for us. Is we can, I don't know why I get sick and I don't know why I feel terrible and I don't know why bad things happen in this world. I don't know why one of my good friends is on his back for 15 years. I don't know why. But I know God knows why. And I know if I have it in my power to bring him a few days of comfort or a few years of comfort in prayers, I certainly need to do that, right? Because those are the good deeds. So what does God expect us to do? That's who God is. We already talked about it. Love Him with all our hearts. Obey His Word. Persevere in all situations do the good works that we're supposed to do. Like we have a good work coming up here in, uh, what is it, two weeks? Yeah, next, next uh, Sunday after church. We need some volunteers. So we need some people willing to do some good works. And, and you guys are great with doing good works. And June 10th, we're going to have our Kids Fun Fest. So we just need people to help out with that. You know what Kids Fun Fest is? I, I hope when you think VBS and Kids Fun Fest, I hope your brain doesn't stop at the fun part of it. Do you know what it really is? I'll tell you what it really is. Bring the children to me, Jesus said. That's, that's what this stuff is about. It, it's fun. It's fun to help the children learn about Jesus. That's why it's fun. But Jesus wants children to come to Him. And so by your helping with this kid's fun fest, it's not some vain endeavor where we just do a few games, have a little fun with the kids. That's not the purpose. It's so that these kids can know Jesus Christ and rule and reign with Him. That's the goal. Your kids. My kids. I want my kids to come to know Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? Uh, watch out for false teachers. Um, watch out for sensuality. Watch out the music that you're listening to. Watch out for the movies that you're watching. Just make sure that it's honoring and bringing glory to God uh, because we serve a holy God. Well, I hope I've been able to give you some things. I've learned a lot. And, I mean, I've already repented over the last months that I've been studying for this message because I fall short in areas. When you read the way the church is supposed to be and who Jesus is, it's like, okay, God, I repent. <laughs> I repent. <clears throat> you 
So I hope you've been encouraged. I hope I've given you the true measuring stick that we should measure ourselves by. Uh, The good news is, is not to feel shame and not feel condemnation, but the good news is, is to realize that Jesus is looking for that intimate love and fellowship. And if you've sinned, you confess it and move on. Put it behind you. Leaving those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... God, I'm I'm still amazed and in shock at, at what's to come on the earth with you. And Lord, I'm... I'm amazed that uh, you would choose me. And I'm amazed that you would choose anybody, really, Lord. And I'm thankful that we have a church here, a cornerstone. Lord, I pray that this church, the candlestick at this church, would be strong until you come back. Lord, I pray for everybody's lives in this building right now. Your blessing would be upon them. Your joy would fill them. Lord, speak to them the, the wonderful things they need to hear. Lord, those that are suffering, just pray you give them that spirit of perseverance and endurance. Lord, I just pray you, this church would abound in good works. This church would abound in love and good deeds. This church would abound in praise and thanksgiving. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com. Contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.